Welcome to Trinity, especially if you're new uh, and we haven't met. And uh, yeah, I am Andrew and I have the privilege of, of trying to lead the team here. And it's great to, to see some new people and if you're visiting as well. And if you're watching online, hello again. Welcome welcome to you, wherever, wherever you are. So um, here we are. Um, uh, how's the new year going? How's the new year going? I wonder if it's a bit of a rush. Here's a picture of someone having a bit of a rush. Um, thanks, Fee. Um, there we go. That was me in a different life. Is that what you feel like? You know, uh, I was trying to work out, I was walking the dog this morning, early this morning, uh, trying to make sure I was up before the uh, sun rose for different reasons. Um, and um, I was thinking to myself, how long ago was Christmas? How long ago? And I had to work it out. And, and you know, how much has happened between Christmas and, and today? I don't know. Do you, do you feel in a rush? A lot of people do feel in a, in a rush. Um, I, I gather there's all kinds of resolutions, aren't there, that, that people make. Um, uh, I, I like the one where someone said, if you're old enough, uh, look in your wardrobe uh, for something that was a trend once in your life and start wearing it to bring it back. You know, I've got, I, and I found my old cowboy boots. Anyone old enough to remember the cowboy boots? I think that could be a trend. I mean, flare, I, I am old enough to have seen flares, straight, skinny, flares, double-breasted, sing, you know, I'm old enough for, I have a whole wardrobe that fits with every circumstance. But I haven't yet seen cowboy boots come back. Anyone else in the room old enough to remember cowboy boots? Yeah, come on, let's see you. You know, the Lord forgives you. The Lord, grace, Lord, grace, Lord. Um, I think my number one resolution is to only spend two minutes picking a film on Netflix. Anyone else do this? Nikki and I sit there, you know, we've got our meal, got you know, Friday night. Let's, let's see what's on telly, darling. Okay, let's see. And then you just spend three hours trying to, you know. And I've decided, someone who wrote this said, the best thing to do is just spend two minutes. It'll either be brilliant and you'll be presently surprised, or at our age, you're going to be asleep in an hour anyway. So, I mean, you know. We, uh, I, I hope, friends, that we just share uh, a conviction. I hope that there's something that we share as, as a church family, uh, and, and that that's actually why you're here, really, is that we know whatever else happens in this year, we need more of God. We need more of God. Is that, is that the case? Yeah. Like me, don't you want to somehow, whatever other you know, conviction, resolution you might make, your number one priority, I hope, your desire is, is for more of God in, in your life. And, and that's where we are. You'll be pleased to know, I hope, as a, as a church family, many of us know, but if you're, if you're visiting, we're, we're in a 21-day period. We started it um, on Thursday, and we're carrying on for 21 days, particularly uh, really focusing and seeking God uh, intentionally. And, and we're, we're doing that using the particular tool, the particular habit and discipline of fasting. And, uh, and we'll, we'll talk, I'll talk a little bit more about that. But, but the bottom line is, why are we doing it? The why is for more of God, to seek more of God. And out of that, out of seeking God, to then know more of God's will for our lives. And, and then we pray to be obedient to it. And obviously, that's a deeply personal thing. Uh, so that's my personal conviction, my personal prayer. I, I really hope it's yours. Um, and it is for Trinity as well. And, and the deal here, the thing is, it's, 
it's actually shifting from um, changing to, to kind of making plans and asking God to bless them in, into really genuinely saying, God, have your way. Now, um, you know, we are uh, an amazing church family and God blesses us with incredible resources, doesn't he? And the honest truth is, and I, this does sound arrogant, and obviously sometimes it can have an arrogance to it in truth as Trinity Cheltenham. We have to recognise this. We can sort of kind of do whatever we want within a, a world kind of understanding of being church. We, we have enough resource, we have enough people, we have amazing privileges of finance and, and in a sense we can say to ourselves, well, you know, this is what we're going to do and then, and then to some degree at least, quite, to quite a large extent. And that's, of course, um, brings with it huge responsibility that as a leadership team and as members of this church, I, I pray and hope, we, we have a sense that we, we have to really bear the weight of that responsibility well. And that we're constantly praying, we're constantly seeking God, we're constantly saying, you know, here's what we think is the best plan, here's what we think you want, you know, God, is this right? So we're not, even in these 21 days, we're not just starting in one sense, you know, hopefully God has given us some wisdom. But, but at the same time, as, as leader here, I really want to say so seriously how we, we absolutely want to check in with God and say, God, what do you want for us as a church? I think you can overplay sometimes, you know, are we in a crisis? Because if you look through human history, probably Christians, followers of Jesus, at every point in human history would have said, we're in a crisis. You know, if you were in a trench in World War I or you know, in some of the other conflicts that you would say it's a crisis. But, but in our time right now, it's very clear, isn't it, in this part of the world, that those of us who follow Jesus have got to be so in line with what he's calling us to. We've, we've got to so seek him. You know, the devil is loving the fact, the evil one is loving the fact that actually lots of places are just snoring. They're just asleep. He doesn't even need to bother sending, you know, physical persecution in the same way that he is in other places in the world. Because actually a lot of, a lot of people who say they're followers of Jesus, sadly, I would say a lot of churches are just asleep, asleep at the wheel. So, so why would he, he doesn't even in a sense need to bother it feels as though that that is a shift. There is a shift changing. And actually, those of us who follow Jesus, we are going to experience more at first hand what our sisters and our brothers in Christ around the world have got a lot more experience of, which is actually experiencing confrontation in direct ways. So I just want to be careful, as I say. I just think, you know, we can, frankly, there's an arrogance in saying, in this generation, we're facing a bigger crisis, and so therefore, da 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 I don't think that's true. But absolutely, what I do know is, as we look at what's in front of us, how much do we need God? And as the slide is saying, as the theme for this sermon series, do you, do you recognise, do you realise that God moves where he's wanted. God moves where he's wanted. And so my question today is really actually how much do we want God? Because it's so easy, just check yourself as I check myself. It's so easy, isn't it, to say, well, of course I want God to move. 
But, you know, the honest truth is, as Heli was giving the little notice about Saturday, and I was thinking for, for, for church leaders, those is, it's one of those slightly double-edged sword. I was just thinking to myself, I'll tell you exactly the thought went, went through my mind, to be absolutely transparent with you. I thought, that's going to be brilliant. But I bet there's going to be a point when they say, would all the church leaders like to the, come to the front and be prayed for? And I honestly thought, oh gosh, that's usually nice, but it's also kind of also quite challenging as well. Because sometimes you... How much do we really want God? You know, and, and to what degree are we just saying, well, God, I'd like you in this bit of my life. I, you know, I, I'd like you in that way. I'd like more of your wisdom. I'd like more of your power. I'd like you more of your strength. I'd like more, you know, I'd, I really want you. But how much to what degree do we want God to turn the tables upside down as Jesus did in the temple? And, and really, and really be God in our lives. It's, if you don't feel a bit of the kind of ooh of that, I, I'm not sure you're maybe completely thinking about and, and being serious about making the prayer. That would be my, my sense. You know, I, I quite like a lot of what we do as a church. What happens if God says completely change everything here? What, what happens if God says... You know, don't meet like this. Meet in a completely different way. Is there a limit on how much I really want God in every part of my life? Because there's a truth here. Now, some of us will be saying, but doesn't God go just where he wants? Well, of course he, he does. The biblical perspective is that God is omnipresent, omnipotent, and all-powerful, and omnipresent. He is everywhere, and... And the beauty is that we live our lives as followers of Jesus in response to God. We don't make anything happen with God. We didn't go and find God and say, would you like the job of being God for us? You know, we live in response to God. That's one of the beauties or certainly how it should be. But the Bible is full of encounters where people experience the presence of God in very specific and, and quite sudden, dramatic ways. So it's, it's quite clear that God is everywhere, but he's not manifest, he's not revealed, he's not experienced fully by human beings in the same way everywhere. God has clearly given us a measure of choice, an ability to welcome or to reject an ability to say, God, I want you in this much of my life, but really actually not so much in that bit. I want you in this much of my bank account, but really not in that much. I want you in this much of my plans for the future, but maybe not in just quite that bit. And so the scriptures tell us, the Bible is saying to us at the beginning of 2024, it's saying, I believe, now God may well dramatically hit a number of people. He may well do that, and of course he does, and there'll be people here who can tell the story of the times he's done that. But God is saying, I take you so seriously, each one of you, as a woman here, as a man here, I take you so seriously, I love you so much, I've made you in my image that I am giving you genuine choice about how much you want, you want me. Bible says, 1 Thessalonians, Paul, who was writing to a church, said, you know, he said, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't quench. Don't extinguish 
the Spirit's fire. Obviously, this is something that we can do. Jesus was rejected, wasn't he, in, in Nazareth and, and so couldn't do many miracles. How many miracles am I seeing in my life? How, how, how am I really seeing God move in my life? It's a, it's a sharp question, isn't it? But it, it's so important. How many of us, being truthful friends, and I, you know, I say it to myself, how many of us are not fully seeing God's will in our lives? We're not seeing things working out in our lives because the honest truth is we don't actually, we want him to do some things, but we actually don't want him to do some other things. It's a, a big challenge, and it's a challenge for us as a church. That's why we're here. Um, the, the writer, Christian writer, Philip Yancey said, God moves, he, he concluded two things from all his experience. Philip Yancey's written lots of books, looked at lots of things, seeing God move in all kinds of different ways. There's two truths. He said, first is God moves in mysterious ways. You know, and the secondly, it, it goes, God goes where he's wanted. Do you really want him? And of course, the, the starting point, and it's our first theme for, for this week, uh, we're going to be thinking about being God being wanted in other ways, but is God wanted in our hearts? That's our, that's our starting question for today. God, is God wanted in our, in our hearts? The Bible talks over a thousand times about, about the heart. It's where God looks, doesn't it? The Bible tells us God looks in the heart, human beings look on the outside appearance. Um, and, and in the Bible, as, as um, Anna was saying so well uh, in our first part together, all ages together. The Bible's very clear that the heart represents the locus of our emotional, intellectual, moral being and selves. And the Bible says you can have a soft heart or you can have a hard heart. A soft heart will be open to God and will lead you more in God's way. A hard heart and the Bible says you can harden your heart against God, will lead you away from him. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament, quoting the Psalms, Psalm 95, says, do not harden your heart. And the truth is, like everything, like any relationship breakdown, it may express itself in some sudden and horrible outworkings, but it's actually always a journey of lots of little cuts. Lots of little divergences, lots of little moments where hearts are hardened. Rarely in a relationship breakdown is it one, one thing. There's always a journey. And it's the same with us and God. Our hearts are hardened to God. He, he becomes less welcome when we don't obey, when God says things to us and we, we ignore, there's a hardening of the heart. Soft heart, hard heart. That's the question, isn't it? The great mystic writer, John Christensen, I could never say his name, is it Christensen? Christensen? Some of you know better than me. John Christum, anyway, said, find the door of your heart and you'll find the door to the kingdom of God. 
Find the door to your heart and you'll find the door to the kingdom of God. Evie is going to come and read for us from the Bible as I just want you to think and we think a little moment this morning. Soft hearts, is God really wanted? Evie, would you come and read for us, please? Thank you so much. It's going to be from Kings, 1 Kings. It'll be a familiar passage to lots. 1 Kings 19. Words will be up on the screen as well, but thank you, Evie. Yeah. Um, the Lord appears to Elijah, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord oh God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mount of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Mm. Amen. Thank you so much, Xavier. Thank you for reading. A passage that will be really familiar to lots of, lots of us. Elijah, who has stood for God, being God's true servant, when the kingdom, the people of God have been divided into two kingdoms, and Ahab and lots of other kings have turned against God. And Elijah has stood for what is right. And, and in the chapter before this, uh, for those of you who want to read who know, he's had this big confrontation, hasn't he, with the prophets of Baal. So Baal is the false god, the idol god that they're worshipping. And there's been this huge power battle on the mountain. Uh, you may remember that you know, they get them to light fires or try and light fires. And who can send fire down? Elijah can bring fire down. But, but he thinks, what Elijah thinks probably, doesn't actually say this, but there's an implication strongly, that Elijah is possibly thinking that that big power display between all the forces of the kind of world and the false gods and him then asking God to send down fire and it burning it up, that everyone would, as a result of that, turn back to God. And they don't. And so here he is. He, he, he goes, he's under threat. His life is under threat from Ahab and Queen Jezebel, her queen directly. And Jezebel is there out for him. Shall I swash on to a different mic? Yeah. His life is under his life is under threat. And he's, he goes into the wilderness and he, he's, 
in the wilderness and he's saying to God, I've had enough. I've had enough. He gets led further into the wilderness by an angel of the Lord. Can you just turn me down a notch or two, Dave, please? Thank you. Gets led further into the wilderness and here he is. He vents his frustrations. He says to God, I've, I've had enough. Where are you, God? I, there was this big, you know, your power was demonstrated. And yet nothing has changed. And God leads him into this personal, intimate encounter. He's not in the wind. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fire. He's in the gentle whisper. And, and for me, this is a picture of, of how I so often look at a year ahead and I, I think how I want God to work in my life. And I imagine it's in the big, it's in the, the power play. But that's a worldly way of thinking. And if we want more of God in our lives, then it starts in our hearts, doesn't it? It starts with the whisper. It starts in the hidden places. The softening of a heart starts in the hidden, quiet place where we spend time with God and we listen to his whisper. The Bible's very clear, there are, there are, our hearts grow soft when we listen to the voice of God. And the Bible talks about itself, the word and the spirit, Ephesians 1, 13, 14. And you also were included, says Paul, in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Our hearts are softened. We're embraced into Christ when we listen for the voice of God. And that happens in the hidden place. I, I pray and hope that you'll hear God as we gather together. You'll hear God in our worship. You'll hear God in the, in the louder times. But, but if you're not having those quieter times, if you're not listening for the whisper, then I'm, I'm not sure, friends, you're going to be hearing God. If you want God to move, then, then this is going to be something that is crucial. And secondly, our hearts grow, and, uh, grow softer when we obey God's commands. That's the other simple message that scripture constantly gives us, doesn't it? Exodus 20, 24, where the covenant was made that Elijah is referring to having been broken. Wherever I cause my name to be honoured, says God, I will come to you and bless you. C.S. Lewis said that God, but lots of people think that God wants a people who are obedient to a set of rules, whereas what God wants is people of a particular sort. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Campbell Morgan says, present obedience is the condition for future blessing. Listening to the voice of God and then being obedient to what he says. It's a very simple formula. Listening to the voice of God, being obedient to what he says. The opposite of doing those things is hardening your heart against God. If you want a soft heart, 
if you want God to move in your life in 2024, if we, this church, want God to move, we need to be listening for his voice, which is likely to come in a whisper. And then we need to be obedient. Now, friends, I've got to be really honest. There's a huge challenge for lots of us who've been brought up in a a Western educational mindset and in churches like this. You might be tempted to think it's somebody else's job to do this work, this discipleship, this softening of hearts. It's so easy, especially in the way that we do church, to think, well, it's, it's kind of come on a Sunday, that will feed me, you know, come on Andrew, come on team, come on life group leader, come on somebody else. I'm, I'm ready to be taught kind of mentality, a Western mindset. Who is the only person who is responsible for your discipleship? Do you know your own name? I'm just going to say it again because it's one of these things that you will all say, yes, you agree to it. No one is, I think, going to stand up at this moment and go, no, Andrew, I really think it's your job. But we have been culturally conditioned and in some ways colluded with the idea that it's somebody else's. So whose responsibility is your discipleship, your growth. Now, obviously, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, in partnership with God, you might have said, well, it's, it, it's God's work in me. So no one else can help you actually to soften your heart in, in, in ultimately. I mean, friends along the way can... Of course, we're called in it together. But the bottom line is, if you want God to move in your life, and if you want God to move in this church, then it's us, it's you, it's me. Are we going to listen to his voice for the whisper And then when we hear things from God, are we going to be obedient? It's it's just really as straightforward as that. You know, you're not getting seven perfect New Year resolutions to bring you to glory. Because that's not what we need. There are tools. We, uh, we talk about a rule of life here at Trinity. Some of you will be familiar with this, but if you haven't joined, uh, or if you've joined recently, then this is something that, you know, in a very big church where we all have different patterns of life, we, we really think there's a, a sort of shared framework we can have, but that needs to be expressed, obviously, individually, because who takes responsibility, who's responsible for your growth? Who's responsible for your discipleship? You. So I can't give you a neat pattern. 
what I can remind you, and forgive me, it's the new year, so you're going to get it at least once every year, I can remind you that you already have a rule of life. You already have a framework of habits. And presumably, you're doing the things that you do, to some degree at least, because you believe that it's healthy and helpful to you. So the question is, are you happy with the fruit? Are you happy with the fruit of the framework? If you want to change the fruit, what do you need to change? The framework. So if you want to see different fruit in your life, if you want to hear God's voice more clearly, if you really want him to move in your heart, then you're going to need to ask him, what are the habits that you could have and follow this year? And we, we group them as, as ancient Christian followers have done, St. Benedict and many others, under basically four headings. First, how we listen to God through prayer and scripture. Second, our patterns of rest. You know in the Bible that it's out of rest rather than working to rest. It's our relationships and it's how we use our time in work, paid, unpaid, service, paid, unpaid. And so we just very simply, and I'm just doing it again now, just say, look at the patterns that you have under those four headings and is that framework producing the fruits that you, that you want and you desire? And if it isn't, how can you change the framework? As simple as that, really. And so that's a really long way of coming into land and saying that, yes, over this 21 days, we are particularly focusing on fasting. And many of us will already be doing this, but it's not too late to join in. Our God doesn't keep a little rule book saying, well, you missed out on five days, so I'm not going to bless you now. It's all about the heart, because where does God look? The heart. He's not ticking off a calendar on you. And in the Bible, fasting has got three potential directions. Tim did some stuff on this. There's an inward heart focus for fasting in the Bible. When you, you're wanting more spiritual hunger, you're wanting closeness, or you need to express repentance. And that's a, a particular key word, isn't it? Expressing repentance turning back to God and saying I'm turning away you know maybe God I have wanted you to do a big sort of prophets of Baal kind of thing in my life and I've just been ignoring your whisper maybe God I've, I've wanted you in 90% of my life but not that 10% there's that word consecration committing ourselves to what God wants that's a, a, a biblical focus for Fasting, Or there's the outward circumstances kind of focusing, sometimes to express grief if you've if you're been hit by grief, seeking God's help. And, and in response to encounter, many times in the Bible, when people encounter the glory of God, they fast in response. And then, of course, there can be the forward, the action focus, where we're looking to God for direction and we're seeking his power. Paul and Barnabas, for example, fasted before they went out on, on mission. And fairly obviously, in some ways, as a church over this 21 days, and my invitation to you to join in again, 
is on that first one, as I've said. The heart focus, seeking God, soften my heart. I want to hear your whisper. I want to hear more of your voice so I can commit to it. I wonder what God's saying to you right this moment. I hope you know that fasting is not about trying to force God to do something. John Piper, I think Tim may have referred last week, says fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that in itself is good, food usually, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. So please don't fast and pray as a practice over the rest of this time or any time through this year to try and make God do something. It won't work. But fasting now could be a really significant practice to say, God, I want more of you in my life. I want a softer heart. And it all flows into our vision as a church. Because if we're all in with God, which is the first part of our vision, if we listen and seek him, then he'll lead us into the other two parts of our church vision, into all in with each other and to all in for the world. The danger is, isn't it, in church life, we often jump straight to number two, don't we? If everything could be better... You know, if we could all just find better systems, if Andrew could communicate better, if we could, you know, if my life group, if. But actually, the order is important. It starts with each one of us individually, because who's responsible for our growth and our discipleship? We are. And that will then lead us, though, into being a better church community together and into serving God's purposes for this church. Final thing I just want to mention is on Sunday the 28th, we've got baptisms. We've already got a load of people who are getting baptised in this church. Some of them for the first time, some reaffirming vows that were made as as children. And we've also got some infants being baptised as well. It's brilliant. Morning and evening on the 28th. I just wonder if for one or two of us, that might be significant as a moment at the beginning of a year. But I sense the beginning of a new season to actually make a public mark, a public commitment And I just felt cool to say that this morning. Come and have a chat, if that's you. So there you go, friends. I wish I could give you seven ways to improve your life by December. Or four ways to reduce your stress. But I can't. All I can do is say... Are you going to seek a soft heart?